The Understable Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Roofing and Anchor.fm. Are you or someone you know looking for reliable contact for exterior renovations? Look no further. Give Spartan Roofing and Renovations a call to schedule your free consultation. With every project Spartan Roofing completes, they make a donation to the Dayton Disc Golf Club to help support the fast-growing community. If you have a minute, give them a like on Facebook and Instagram. Spartan Roofing services the greater Dayton area and is licensed and insured in the state of Ohio. To schedule your appointment, call 937-532-0315 and ask for Charles. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Understable Podcast. I am joined by my co-host, Mark Boonstra. Say hello. Hey, guys. And we are also joined by the ambassador, Kevin Powell himself, the man behind the scenes. Who gets all of these amazing disc golfers on here for you guys all to listen to? Not to mention, say what's up. Not to mention, self-titled executive producer. Oh goodness, the ambassador, the executive producer, Kevin Powell, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. All right, guys. So this week we don't really have a special guest outside of Kevin. So it's just the three of us guys hanging out. You know, doing our thing, talking disc golf. That's what we do, right? We love talking about the sport, grow the sport, um, get you guys pumped up to get out and play and watch tournaments, and that's what we do. That's why we're doing this. So, speaking of growing the sport, this week we are basically going to be discussing the growth of the sport and things that we can do to further grow the sport into more mainstream. So, real quick... um, by the numbers, the growth from 2020 to 2021, uh, new members almost doubled. It was up, well, it was up 67% with new members. Uh, renewed members was 47% up. And active members went from 71,000 in 2020 to 109,000 PDGA wow. active members in wow. 2021. When we talk growth, a lot of people think – Let's get more people involved. Let's, you know, let's, let's grow our numbers. That's all we hear is, is numbers, numbers, numbers. You hear it with disc golf. You hear it with other sports. Um, Kevin, you and I have talked a lot about like the church and growing numbers, right? That, that's what everybody thinks of. Yeah. Let's grow our numbers. Yeah. We want more right. people because more people brings in more money. But the only way it brings in more money is if those new members are getting involved in the community outside of a casual player. What are your guys' thoughts on some of the 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 issues, if you will, with growth? You know, the, the lack of lack of availability for discs, the higher prices of discs. Uh, let's hear some thoughts. So when I think of the growth of the sport and things that are kind of holding it back, there's many, many reasons, obviously. But one thing that stands out for me in particular, the thing that's always stood out to me is – course design course location um i believe that putting it in your local park is not good enough you know in you know we've all got park courses and stuff near us and we play them and we love them but you need dedicated land that has been groomed has been manicured and has been fit for disc golf specifically i want to point to well, let's talk about the MVP Open at Maple Hill. You guys like that event, don't you? You love watching that one? Oh, yeah. 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 That's my favorite tournament to watch all year. 
I love that tournament. I just love the course. I love the environment and I love the way that it was, that land was taken and it was turned into a disc golf course. It was dedicated land dedicated to the disc golf course. And we've got courses like that up here in Michigan too, like things like flip city for those who may or may not be familiar, but I, but like courses that I don't enjoy watching um, the first one that comes to mind and I'll even just call it straight out the courses that they use for ledgestone uh the ledgestone insurance open uh i those courses to me um you know there's a hole where they throw over a baseball field there's a hole where they throw on the other side of a uh a water tower like those are fun gimmicks and you know i'm sure those shots are fun to throw but you don't see that on a golf course you know, you don't you don't see things like that on a golf course. Uh, Winstrom or not Winstrom, I'm sorry, uh, Winthrop Golds, uh, where they play USDGC. That course, you know, it's just a lot of open space. Uh, they've been adding those mozzarella sticks the last couple of years. I really do not like those at all. Uh, I don't like the ropes like the rope. You can't understand what's going on with the ropes. The throwing over parking lots, the throwing in between ropes that are it's hard to watch and read what's going on. And it's and the mozzarella sticks are just an artificial difficulty. In my opinion, I think the event needs to move. But yeah, so overall, course design to me, the difference between dedicated land uh, used specifically for disc golf and just throwing a course in the park, uh, I think we need to move away from the courses in the parks or on college campuses and more towards dedicated land. What do you guys think? Well, college college campuses, I think, would be okay if they have the land to do so. Because we're seeing an increase in college disc golf teams. Just this weekend, there was a national tournament where the UC Discats were down there competing. Mm-hmm. So to take that away from a college campus where they would be able to practice regularly and get together as a team and play, I think would be bad for overall growth. So you got to have something available either at the campus or close by. I think it's more about not just um, dedicated land, but properly utilizing the land that you have available. Because you can make a great course with a small amount of land if you know how to design the course properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just think there needs to be an aesthetic to it that we don't have now. Like, you, if you want this, if you want this on ESPN or whatever your goal is, uh, you like you can't be throwing shots over parking lots. You know, we we can't be throwing shots. What's that whole uh, whole sixteen at uh, Waco? Waco, yeah. That, I was just going to mention that. I know you talked about that before. Yeah, you're, you're throwing over rails in a transformer. It's, I think it's. It might even be fifteen. It might be fifteen. I think it's sixteen. But. Is it 16? Yeah. yeah. The, next, like, the next shots, the, the, the layup to the downhill along that Valerie part. Yeah. Yeah. Insane shot, by the way. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, Kevin, Kevin, what did, what did you, you got anything to say about it? Well, you guys both have more experience than I do, but I, I do know what you're saying about the course design because park courses, you really can't utilize that nowadays. If, if you want this sport to be taken more serious, as you've said before, that's and I yeah I agree. I mean MVP Open specifically is a great example for that. And 
yeah i yeah i agree yeah I mean, you play golf you know what i mean like yeah you you've exactly. had a history of playing golf you were you were literally just watching the masters before you logged on yes, and we I started was. talking about this yep you know what i mean like <sighs> i mean i you know the masters course is uh you know way up there well yeah I guess you know it is, that's yes. it's exceptional but like you know, whatever course those players are playing on the weekends, even I'm I'm betting even one of the ugliest golf courses is probably still nicer than some of the nicer disc golf courses we have. That's completely you know, eye of the beholder. I'll like I'll and, admit. Yeah, and golf has obviously been around a lot longer. It's more of a tradition to. I mean, you're looking yeah, dedicated land toward a golf course is is something that has always been there, but. Yeah, that's where, yeah, that's where disc golf, I, I agree, needs to get out of the parks, that scene itself, and then go to the dedicated, um, just, unfortunately, that's where green feeds come in, you know, carts, things like that. So you have to have that ability to pay for it and keep it, um, what's the word I want to use? Upkeep, Main, just the maintain. upkeep of the course maintenance, yes, maintenance yeah. and maintain. So there's... Obviously, it's not going to be like golf, but uh, there is some maintaining still to do. So, I can get that done. Usually, green feeds, etc. So, yeah. And a lot yeah, of but, course maintenance is done through volunteer hours. Um, we had yeah, the, yeah, correct. Of course, here Echo Valley Park or Echo Valley Disc Golf Course. Everybody in this area knows yep. it's, it's probably the best course as far as design, layout, maintenance that has been put in. But Carl Childs, who designed and installed that course has spent, I don't know how many hours unpaid out of his time to go put that course in. Now, I mean, I'm sure he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I think he ended up getting hired by Clear Creek Township as a part-time employee to help cover his weight, his time out there. But I know he's nice. done so many hours a year as a, as a um, volunteer on courses just all over Dayton. So that's one of the the bigger issues when it comes to like the maintenance and upkeep is it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of volunteers. And until you get to that level of a club sport, if you will, like ball golf is, you know, it's a huge, it's a club sport. It's a status thing. And until we grow to that point, you're not going to see a lot of paid positions for course upkeep. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I, I say all these things about how we need dedicated land and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, who has that land that yeah. knows about disc golf that's going to spend all of this time and money to turn it into a disc golf course? It's just not everybody, you know, we got Eagles Crossing, uh, yep. the Eagles Crossing court that just that just came in. Um, and and I don't I I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the the man who. Uh, put that course together but you, you he you can't expect every course to be like that you know what i mean which yep. it's kind of it's it's a tough situation because we need like money for these yep. kinds of things for these courses but there's just not a lot of money right now mm-hmm. is do you have to pay to play there at eagles i would assume so I mean, I'd pay <laughs> at that course. Well, yeah, I'm just curious. I would throw him twenty dollars and be like, "Hey, thank you," even if he didn't want it. Yeah, I'm just curious. But see, that's where it's dedicated land. If okay, so let's say they do pay for greens fees, quote unquote. 
so that would that's a good example of if you pay you know let's say ten dollars to walk 18 that's money coming in most people don't have land just to not make money i mean it's most most of the time that's the driving force unfortunately if right. that makes sense right that's obviously a lot of golf courses go away because they just don't make enough money yeah it's one thing i loved about the scene up in the twin cities minneapolis st paul up there is a majority of their courses are pay to play and it's $5, $8 greens fees for the whole day. So you can play as many rounds as you want for one price. But you notice if you go up there and play those courses, you notice a difference between a course like Hammond Hill, which is a public park and a course like blue ribbon pines, which is a private course. You notice a huge difference in the, in the course maintenance and the, Amenities available. You don't have the riffraff that you have at, at your park style course. Um, just the whole like atmosphere of a pay to play course is way different. And to me, yeah. I think that's the direction that disc golf needs to go. If it's going to yep. grow into a mainstream sport. Now, don't get Correct. me wrong. If you're talking a public park, no green fees, no pay to play, maybe do a parks pass because you have to have the balance. If you constantly have courses like Idlewild and Maple Hill that are these tough courses but are on dedicated land, you're going to push out the majority, which is the casual player, the rec player, the the family that wants to go and just have a good time. So you need courses like in Grand Rapids with Garfield Park. You have to have those park-style courses. Otherwise, you lose a, a large majority of the crowd. My, my counterstatement to that would be um, I think – I, I don't think that if, if every course was a championship style course, but had um, like a red and gold tee system or a shorts and longs, like, and these need to be well-designed shorts because when we talked to Sarah Holcomb, she had talked about how courses were kind of, you know, they were just designed for the men, um, uh, you know, like those professional men, you know, say you've got a 300 foot hole, straight with trees uh, all the way down the fairway you know most professional men can just throw a putter down there whereas maybe maybe a pro woman and no disrespect if, uh, i hope i'm not hope i'm not being disrespectful but maybe they're throwing a fairway driver on this shot so the shot shape is just different like the nature of the hole is just different so i think some well-designed shorts in that case would be better like okay you've got this really high quality course you don't have to go play the golds and feel bad about yourself. You know, we've got shorts. So that's, that's, I would, I would like to see that more than like park style courses. Not that park style courses are ever going to go away. It's they're literally never going to go away, but, right. but if, but if we had a board championship style courses with more well-designed short tees, then I, then, you know, I don't see the issue there. You kind of see what I'm saying. Well, it's like Brewer. So, yeah. Brewer has golds and it has, you know, reds and i and i know i've played both i think you guys have both played both t-pads i would say shorts or longs i mean it's not only necessarily a a championship level course but it's definitely got a lot more challenging shots where like hole four i think it's hole four yeah the horseshoe the, the horseshoe yeah you go play golds you're playing an upshot to a placement shot to a run at the hopefully a run at the basket whereas you play reds 
I'm just ripping a fairway driver at the basket straight up. Yeah. So yep. I definitely will agree with you on having easier layouts on championship style courses, but at the same time, who's going to take their 13, 14-year-old kid out and play Idlewild, even if they do have a short pin? Some people do. Don't get me wrong, but the majority of the casual player is not going to do that. Yeah, they're just going to yeah, go to the local park and play for free. Yes. Don't, I mean, Correct. Idlewild's free also. I wish they did have a donation box and they or they did charge a greens fee, but um, the course is actually on the Cincinnati Burlington Airport property, so I don't think they can legally do that. And you've, now, and you've mentioned Augusta earlier with the Masters, and one day, you never know, but, I mean, that'd be awesome to play that course, but they have different tees, so I could go out and enjoy that course I'm not going to play from the where the pros play from. I'd get my butt kicked, but I can play from, you know, f- tees up. I mean, even, even our local angels crossings, they have, I think five tee boxes. So there's, it's a championship. It's, it, it's a decently championship design course, but they have the shorter tee boxes for your more casual players. Now the course itself, is more expensive. Like you mentioned, most, most people would just go to a free park. I get that, but that's kind of the same thing where the pads and longs and or shorts and longs and things like that. So, yep. Let me throw this stat out to you, Brandon and, and Kevin as right. well. In oh. 2020, <laughs> there was an average of 3.5 courses built per day. In Jeez. 2021. Wow. In 2021, that jumped 50% almost up to 5.28 courses built per day. Talk about growth. Brand new? Yes. Brand new built? Yes. New courses per day on the average of 5.28. Wow. So tying it all into growth of the sport, that's huge. I mean, just to have that many more courses designed and installed per day, that's a lot. Where are these courses at? Because they're not getting put up in my time. Right? I still well, got another 20 minutes too. to play this golf. <laughs> and that's the thing too. So like you said, are these courses at the back, you know, the back of a school? Because we have two, one, three that have been installed down near near Portage in the last two years. Three have been installed. You got Kimberly, Portage Central, and oh, brain fart. Don't remember. But again, they're but they're on school property. They're just kind of a mm-hmm. nine hole course. So yeah. does that count? are these numbers quote unquote skewed because of that? Or, you know, that's, you know, well, that, that, that's these argument, are course, worldwide but. stats through you disc. And, yeah. um, between 2021 and 2020, there was a 15% increase in courses worldwide by 13,323. So wow. yeah, it's definitely, the sport is <clears throat> definitely growing. You know, it, that's very apparent. I mean, from, COVID in 2020 to now a huge boom in in the sport. And I think a lot of that to do with people being pushed to get outside and um, enjoy outdoor activities. But now just, just for the record, I started before it was cool. Just saying. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> just saying. You were like six <laughs> months before the crowd. I was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But we yeah, need more that's... than just numbers to grow the sport. You know, we need correct Kevin. You and I have talked several times on the phone about this exact topic. 
and the course needs things like ESPN coverage. No, no diss to Jomez Pro or Disc Golf Network or any of the, the media we have now, but they need mainstream media. We need big-time sponsors such as Under Armour, Oakley, even Callaway Golf can get involved because they bought out Ozio for their product, and they're making Ozio bags, which was formerly with Dynamic Discs. Um, we need big sponsors to bring in the big money. And until that happens, we're not going to see massive growth in a large perspective. It's kind of interesting. We we have been getting some. Um, yeah. Obviously, uh, we have. I'm drawing. I'm drawing a blank. The rangefinders. We got rangefinders. Yeah, Bushnell. We got Bushnell. We got Bushnell. Yep. That's a really exciting sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Um, Correct. That's a really really exciting development, and I really hope that people are buying those rangefinders and using them, and and Bushnell decides to stick around and keep investing in this. I would love to see that. And you got some like Johnsonville. I keep seeing Johnsonville all over. Then obviously, you know, we've got certain insurance companies, but yes, I, I do see what you're saying. Um, I feel like it's getting better. Like, I feel like we are starting to like before, you know, dude, for, for Bush now to, to come out and put out range finders specifically for disc golf 10 years ago, completely unheard of. If you would have told me that 10 years ago, I'd have been like, you're crazy, dude. I'm just going to walk it off. <laughs> I'll give you, I'll give you four years ago, five years ago. I mean, yeah. not even 10. I mean, I'd give, I'll give you even four or five. Speaking yeah. of that, 71% of the courses were built in the last decade. Wait, 71% of all courses? 71% wow. of courses were built in the last decade. Yep. Well, look at See, our interview the, with, with Scott Stokely. You know, when he grew up, there was, yeah. there was like two courses in his area, but there were little hot spots throughout America and a Correct. few others, but. Yeah, I mean, the sport is, I keep saying the sport has grown substantially, and it's on the verge of a breakthrough. So on that same topic, okay, so ESPN covered the DDO, what, two years ago? And they covered the Tour Championship. So why didn't that happen again? Not enough viewers. And CBS Sports. CBS Sports did, actually, too. Yeah. Not enough viewers. And and here's why. Here's my opinion why. Because exactly. the coverage was already made available through Disc Golf Network, and I believe oh, Joma's Pro had also true. post coverage. So those of us who are diehard disc golfers already know the results. If I yeah, told you, because they posted DDO like three months after it happened. True. If I told you Tiger Woods is going to win the Tour Championship, are you going to watch all all season to find out who wins? If I told you the very beginning uh, of the season, Tiger Woods is going to win this year. Kevin, I mean, I'm not. Kevin, um, yes, you're going to watch because you're a golf fan. <laughs> that, well, that's just a yeah. given. But most of us casual viewers aren't going to pay attention like that. Even with events now, when I see post coverage and I see on Facebook, hey, so-and-so won this event. Okay, cool. I'll turn it on and I'll subconsciously pay attention to it, but I won't really sit there and watch um, the coverage. So what needs to happen, I think, with, with your specific point of view on this is that those companies, ESPN, CBS Sports, NBC Sports, whatever company you want to go with, needs to be the one to do the main production. They should have crews on site doing the live coverage. Live, yeah. Live coverage, yes. I think ESPN did. I don't, I think it might have been ESPN. It was, this was a few years ago. They did some, they hosted or they did some sort of event and I think they had live coverage, but they really missed the mark because they had like, 
Hooters girls like walking around with the scoreboards and stuff. The, the leaderboard was like, "There's what? What disc golf course are you going to that has Hooters girls on it?" Well, <laughs> it was. I'll tell you this example it. from another sport, NASCAR in particular. I was a huge NASCAR fan up until Monster Energy took over, and they started bringing the Monster Girls out on stage. That immediately turned me off from the sport, and now they've gone away from that. I've started to get back into it a little bit. But yeah. you're bringing something that's essentially not family-friendly into a friendly family-friendly sport, and it's ruining it. It's distorting the sport itself. Yeah, I feel like they uh... – they probably saw some sort of demographic and they were like, Oh, 90% of disc golfers are men. So they just like, well, men, I don't, they must've just been like, Oh men, I guess they like Hooters girls. Let's just throw them on the cover. Just like, yeah, no, that's uh, I don't see those. I don't see Hooters girls anywhere else that I watch disc golf. It's right. literally uh, kind of far off on that one. <laughs> All right. So you want to dive into uh, some fan questions? Well, before we get into that, breaking right, news right. that we found out, and Kevin, you shared it to the podcast chat. Um, Heather Young has decided to take a break. And although we don't know the full situation of what she's dealing with, what she's going through, what the circumstances are as to why she stepped away, um, in one aspect, I can kind of understand needing a break. You know, because I... We've talked about it. I've run a league for four years, and I decided to step down because I was just getting burned out on it. And maybe that's the case with Heather. Maybe she's just getting burned out on having to keep up with everything, with the tour lifestyle and everything she has going on in life. We don't know. But I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on her decision to step away with Prodigy still supporting her completely. I don't so you mentioned your disc golf league. You got burned out. I mean, that's not number one. That's not your job. Fair. That's not your profession. You were not getting paid for that. Um, I'm, this has been happening a little bit more lately and I, I really don't know why I'm still kind of digesting it, but I was very surprised to see it. Um, I, yeah, I'm not sure honestly how, which way I, I want to take this. Cause yeah, I, I understand your point, but it's, I, it's you you have to know what you're getting into before you start as a professional athlete the pressures the contracts the expectations brandon i'm right brandon what do you think that's that's my initial thought but um i can feed off you the first thing that i can think of is i i believe that the touring life uh for fbo has to be a little harder than the touring life for mpo um, oh, as we know, there's less money in FPO. So if you're, you know, there's, you can sh still shoot like, you know, you can get a top 30 spot at a pro tour event and probably still make a few hundred dollars. But for the women, you know, if you're not getting, you know, say maybe a top 10 or a top 15 spot, are you making enough money that that the amenities required to play that event, like, was it worth it? Was it worth right. the buy-in? Was it worth getting the hotel? Was it worth investing in the van or whatever, whatever it might be the meals that you had to pay for? Um, it's, it's hard. I feel like for, for FBO players, maybe it's harder to make it worth it personally. Um, see, now I'm going to give you two different sides of this. Okay. 
this is an because this is an individual sport. I like her decision to be real with herself, and you know maybe it's a mental health thing. In 2022, people are more open about that than they've ever been. You know, especially especially for men. But I like this decision for her, um, and I like that Prodigy supporting her through it. Um, but then, like on the flip side of things, you've got Calvin Ridley in the Atlanta Falcons. He ended up leaving the team, you know, four or five, six games into the season to deal with some mental health issues. So, like, I understand that. And that one's – I feel like that one's a little tougher because when you are playing on a team like that, people are relying on you to be there, you know, to help win games and stuff like that. I feel like – I don't know. What, what's your thought on that? Because Calvin really left – the Atlanta Falcons to deal with mental health and he never came back all season, you know, and then obviously they had a really terrible season, but like the repercussions for Heather young, I feel like won't be as substantial. Mark, what do you got? Um, Art. Oh, <laughs> honestly, I don't, I can't really have an opinion so much because we don't know the circumstances. You know, like That's Brandon, true. like Brandon said, it it could be a mental health thing. I mean, FPO is a lot more challenging to make a living in than MPO, and a lot of it's you know yeah. the, the lack of support, the the lack of payouts, if you will. And we've had this discussion before about how to equalize it, and you can't. You know, how many people watch NBA versus WNBA? You know, NBA is going to get a lot more views than the WNBA just because of it's male dominant sport it's athletics are driven towards the male and until there's a way to increase interest in women's sports it's going to be all throughout the lower support and everything yeah because ultimately it comes down to participants uh and when i say participants i mean participants in the crowd as well as in the game um like for a team sport like the wnba like you mentioned um they're not selling out as many stadiums every single night as, you know, the Lakers or, you know, probably maybe even the Pistons, you know, God bless them. They're terrible, but you know, people are still going, <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, said, Kevin said no, but yeah. you know, it's, well, and you know what? And it's like, you can't, you can't just simulate the money. Like that money needs to be tangible and it needs to be feasible. And, and that's going to come from ticket sales. And as far as FPO goes, it's going to come from, getting more women to play and or opening up more spots for women players. And on top of that, it's going to come down to sponsorship. You know, you get, you get bigger sponsors involved. You can increase your payouts for not only the men, but also the women. And that's, I think getting mainstream sponsors is going to be critical in disc golf getting bigger. Mm -hmm. I don't care if we increase 500,000 new players. I mean, that's great. (laughs) I mean, I do. I can't say I don't because why? Why are we doing this podcast to promote disc golf, right? To grow the sport. Yeah. Yep. But my point is, if you increase five hundred thousand casual players, but only a thousand of them become touring pros or live or do that professional, um, competitive. What am I saying? Compete in professional tournaments. You're missing the whole point because now it's. Casual, yes, but casual players don't necessarily bring in the money for the tournaments. And that's where the touring pros need the money the most is their payouts. And I'm most, also, 
Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, most of the money from like golf is is sponsor related and ticket sales. That's those are the two biggest things in golf. That's why the purses are so high, massively high. Oh my word! Yeah. So did I tell you, Mark, the for the Players Championship, I think the winner got three million. Something I think like you finished with top ten, and you still got half a million. It's it's insane. Jeez, I think. man, I picked yeah. up the wrong sport. Yeah. Well. <laughs> so okay, so reading her reading her message, it says I've had some ongoing struggles with what my plans are for the future with disc golf and life in general. You know, I it's yeah, it's obviously vague, and and I'm not saying she has to share details. I'm just you know, I'm wondering what. Yeah, I am wondering what the details are and just what that means. It's you have to know what you're you have to know what you're getting into. So I mean, I guess I can play devil's advocate in that one, but that's where I don't know is it if you're not so if you're not finishing higher or if you're not if you want to make more money, then play better. I that's that's the devil's advocate avenue for me. Mm-hmm. I guess from from I've heard other comments but that's that's just yeah it's kind of based on how you finish and how you play and obviously contracts outside of that who we, we don't know where that lies yeah um, like you said there's other variables too like correct you know, maybe she maybe you know she says future I and, think she had mentioned that her life in general too not just yeah, disc golf with yep, yeah with the future for with dice disc golf and life in general correct yeah and that's yeah. where again that's the devil's advocate view which i can hear I could see that. I'm curious what I'm curious that news will get out and people will comment. So I'm very, very wondering, well, curious what people will say. It's even like me. I mean, last year I competed, I think in eight tournaments and I didn't cash in a single one of them. So I'm kind of feeling, you know, down like, man, is this really worth continuing? Do I really want to keep playing in tournaments? And then as we all know, I got picked up by the battalion team and I had a new fire inside me. Like now I want to compete. Now I want to get out there and spread the word about the battalion team and, and promote Prodigy Discs because they are the best discs on the market right now. And I want to do my best. Unfortunately, I haven't put in the work to this point to where I can compete for the wins. I mean, I did have a really good tournament this weekend, but we don't need to talk about that. Um, But maybe with Heather, it's just a thing where she feels she's underperforming. You know, like Kevin, you said it. Brandon, I think you said it to where she maybe just needs to step back and reflect and maybe decide if this is the path that she wants to continue for her career or yeah, make a correct. career change. Yep. How many times exactly. does a college student change their major before they graduate? Yeah, exactly. You know, it, yep. yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Perfect yep. example. Yep. Yeah. So, I didn't play in any competitive disc golf last year. You know, I had some medical issues and then I, I just played for fun on the side. And now, now that I'm healthy and I'm, you know, I'm back, I've, I've played, a sanctioned event in March, which I don't normally do because March in Michigan is not the best time to play disc. Very unpredictable. Yeah. Very. But yeah, you know, I, I picked up a sponsorship as well and, and I'm out and I'm playing and played sanctioned league yesterday. Like, yeah, you know, that uh, <laughs> Kevin's not impressed. <laughs> oh, both yeah. of you guys with your sponsorships. Oh, it's just a matter of time for you, <laughs> it's, buddy. It's a matter it's of time. It's just a matter of time. Oh, stop it. I'm kidding. So he's yeah, blushing um, people. He's blushing for real maybe just maybe that break is just maybe she just that's all it is she just needs a break you know right well decide yeah like you said the the decision of the in i guess the indecisiveness of your future is huge i mean if you if you're saying 
yeah, maybe, maybe I don't want to do this and maybe I want to do something that's those doubts creep in. And yeah, I mean, it affects your play. It has to, I mean, it has to affect your play. It just makes sense too. How old is she? Yeah. I, let's see if I can find out. Well, so I'm it's, going even, to imagine. it's even hard week to week to go up and, and compete against, you know, the Kristen Tatars, the, the Katrina Allen's, the Paige Pierce's and these other top level female pros where they seem to dominate week yeah. in and week out. Yeah, FPO has been like overall the FPO talent has gotten better, but it's it's still kind of top heavy. You know, there's very, yeah. If if you know if Paige Pierce or Kristen Tatar, Katrina Allen is going to be there, you know, like you're, you know, you need to shoot the round of your life if you're going to, you know, or three rounds in a row of your life if you're going to take them down. And and that's a lot of pressure. I mean, you have to you have to throw three rounds of your life every weekend from February until August or September. Yeah. You know, it's a huge commitment. And you can honestly yep. even throw in there Sarah Hokum. I mean, she may yeah. not be competing for the wins weekend and week out, but she's always finishing top ten, top fifteen. That yep. adds pressure to other people to really try and step their game up. Yeah, she's only nineteen years old. Oh. Nineteen. Okay. Yeah, so that even so adds more honestly, to it. Yeah, that yeah, honestly, it makes it make more sense yeah. than anything. Because maybe she got an offer from a school, you know, yep. or yep. I'm I'm 31 years old. Young and man. yeah, I'm a, a very young well, compared man. Compared to me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm the youngest guy on the show. Yep. I have the five-digit PDGA number. The other guys have six-digit PDGA numbers. Like, I'm the old man. Yep. But the point I'm trying to make is, you know, I'm 31. I worked with a certain company for eight years and thought that I was going to retire with them. And then, you know, I just, things change. I'm with a different company now, you know? Yes. Yeah. Bye to them. (laughs) But yeah, you know, things change, you know, like eight years is a long time to invest into a company. And I was paid pretty well with that company. My family was really well off, but good insurance um, yeah yeah but for me personally just it wasn't worth the mental stress anymore especially when COVID hit like I was yeah. you know working in the food industry so I can I can see where she's coming from she's very young still obviously so you know maybe she's gonna go to school maybe she got an offer for a really nice job there's a lot of things we don't know about like you said Mark yep and, and honestly yeah, I would be honored if we could find a way to get her on the show and maybe pick her brain and get her thoughts on this. You know, I think and she'd be Kevin. a great guest. Yeah. we're t- <laughs> Yeah. Kevin, Kevin, if you could make that happen. Thank you. So earlier today, I posted on Facebook about, you know, this discussion, this topic with just the three of us. And I have to give credit to a good friend of mine, Billy page, local date and everybody around here knows him. He runs our match play every year, puts in a ton of time, effort and energy into that. Um, he's the only one to comment on this, but before we jump into his thoughts on, on this topic of growing the sport, um, guys, check out hazy shade, um, go to hazyshade.com, check out their selection of hats, discs, merchandise. Um, we really appreciate hazy kind of promoting us over the last year or so and, uh, do them a favor, get out and support them. They're great. They're putting on a huge event in a, in about a month and a half. So if you're local, stop into their store. If you're not local, again, go to hazyshade.com and support your local stores. 
specifically tell him the Hazy Jane. podcast sent you. Yes, tell him we sent you. Brandon, hit us up with some of these questions from Billy. All right. So our friend Billy Page on our Facebook has commented and gave us a few good talking points. We're going to hit two or three of these talking points for time's sake, but he did make some excellent ones. So go check out our Facebook uh, and go check these out. But we'll start with number one. I'm going to read this whole thing verbatim and then we'll get into it. Number one, it's hard to grow individual sports. While you get to play with friends, you have to rely on your own ability. You can't hide like you could playing in a volleyball or soccer league. While you are a part of the community, you are missing that team aspect and camaraderie a lot of people are searching for in a hobby. So obviously he's speaking about one of the things holding the sport back. I should have reiterated before we said. So yes. what do you guys think about that? I think he hit the nail on the head. I mean, as I mentioned you know, a little earlier in the show with collegiate disc golf is starting to pick up. Yes, you're still playing and competing as an individual, but you're competing on a team. So there's still that team atmosphere of I have teammates that are counting on me to shoot my best round to help our team get to a national championship or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever their case might be. Unfortunately, disc golf will never become a team sport in the aspect of team sports like football, basketball, hockey, you know, mainstream sports. It's not designed that way. Ball golf's not designed that way. This is the inevitability of disc golf. It will always be, oh, I can't say always because never say always. It will more than likely remain an individualistic sport. So that's something that I don't think we have any control over that we can change or anything until you start coming up with tournaments for teams or, I mean, I don't know, scrambles. I mean, ball golf has some things that rely on a team, you know, four-man scrambles, things of that nature, but um, yeah. I mean, that's that's really just the, the nature of the beast. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm honestly not sure what to say. Uh, I agree. I really don't have a thought on it, honestly. But, yeah. So, for me personally, um, and this is just my mentality, um, that doesn't matter to me. Uh, you know, being on a team, like, not team, but, like, being a team sport, that personally doesn't matter to me. I think – if you've played a team sport at any point in your life, that's very good for you in your development as a person, like as a human being to know that people are relying on you and you need to go out there and do your job for disc golf. Specifically, I got into disc golf because I love the fact that the work that I put in directly reflects on the course. You know, I like the grind of working by myself. I like putting practice. I like, I like having this time to myself to work on something and seeing that result on the course. The camaraderie I get is from playing with my friends, like going to sanction league with, with you, Kevin or Mark, when you come up and practice for lumberjack open, like that's the camaraderie that I like. Now, as far as the closest thing we have to like an actual team format um, is actually the collegiate disc golf championships, because the way that they format their tournament is, You'll have a team of four guys and you will, well, or, or gals, cause there's a women's division too. And they have singles, but as far as the team aspect goes, like the main competition, you'll have, uh, you'll have four players and two of them are together and the other two are together. 
So, you know, two of the four will throw the tee shot and then they'll rotate to the other two to play the upshot or the putt. So you're getting four people involved in one round, which interesting. Yeah. It's actually alternate like shot. alternate shot. Then, so right? it's like a four man scramble, alternate shot. Yes. Kind of yep. Deal. Yep. Or two man yeah. scramble, alternate shots. Kind of, I don't know. Yeah. No, it's just, yeah, it's alternate shot. Interesting. Yeah. That's, I never knew that. Honestly, that's the closest thing. And I actually find that format that I've never played it. Um, but a buddy of mine who played for Ferris, um, when the A and the B team ended up winning the national championship, he was on one of those teams. So he told me all about the format. And I don't know. I wish we could get some coverage of that collegiate disc golf championships because that's like the that's that's the closest thing we have to like a team aspect of it. But yeah, going back to what I said, for me personally, I like the individual aspect. Yeah, and, and it's, yeah, it's an accountability thing on you, and it's a direct re, direct reflection of what you put in, you put out. You know, like, for example, Kevin, I have seen you put so much energy into and time into practicing your putting, tweaking things, and even just a year ago, your putting was so inconsistent to now, you're knocking putts down that, I, that I'm like, that's night and day difference. You've put the work in. That's a direct result of you putting the work in. Then take for me an example. I'm still shooting 820 golf when I go to tournaments, but that's because I'm not dedicating time off of work to get out in the field and throw and to get out and just practice, even putting in my house. i got a basket sitting right here next to me, and I don't take it out and practice. So that's one of the biggest things I like about disc golf is that exact thing. What you put in, you will get out. And it holds you to accountability of what do you want? How bad do you really want to be better? Michael Jordan didn't get to be the greatest by not putting in the work. You know, LeBron didn't get to be the greatest flopper by not putting in the work flopping. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) that's what it is. He went there. Oh, I did go there. He went there. I did go there. He went there. Facts. Um, Yeah, but you are correct, though. But it is hard to grow it that way. Correct. Yeah, what, yeah, right, I was just going to say, is, yeah. yeah, like if you ju- just read the because first not, sentence, you know what I mean? Not, he just says it's hard to grow individual sports. Right, so correct. it is, it is like yep. golf is the greatest, biggest individual sport, right? Like everything else is team sports. Right. Outside like NASCAR, well, maybe. Probably. Right? Yeah, but well, you said biggest and I not even NASCAR is right. team sport. Yeah, if you count like the pit crew. Yeah, and every, and the all pit that, crew yeah. has oh, yeah. to perform to get the driver out in a good position to have a chance to win. Yeah, no, that's no, a the great spotter. Point. The spotter has to do their job to make sure they communicate with the driver where the other cars are at, where the run's coming from, and all this, that, and the other. So even yeah. NASCAR, as much as it's the driver in the car performing, everybody else has to perform. The crew chief has to make the proper adjustments to get the maximum out of the car. So it's still a team sport. Yeah, in the prof- professional level, you have the caddies. I mean, they they play a big part, a huge part, in uh, for the help with their player. Right. Now. When, when I played tournament golf, I mean, obviously I didn't have a caddy all the time. And again, you're relying on yourself. Right. And even then, even okay, if I came to say play Vicksburg, right. And Kevin, you caddy for me, you can, you can walk me okay. through every single yeah, exactly. hole on the course, shot for shot, yep. for shot, for shot. But yep. at the end of the day, it's, it's my job as a Correct. competitor to execute the proper shot for that hole. 
Yep. Kevin's not going to throw my shot in a tournament, and I'm not going to throw his shot in a tournament. (laughs) No, you're not. I mean, some (laughs) some of them might be better than the shots that you would throw, but I'm just saying. My forehand's pretty good. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. So what's his – yep, what's Billy's second point? All right, so number two. The barrier to entry for competitive play. Signing up for a one-day tournament and paying $50 is a lot. People can join a season-long volleyball or softball league for the same cost. Even a league night has you shelling out $10, and newer newer players don't see a return. They are paying for the one-time experience, which seems pricey compared to other options. I have one word for this, and Kevin, you can chime in. Commitment. Um, yeah, I can see, yeah. Um, try, yeah, I'm trying to trying to get rid of the radio silence i'm trying to think of hmm, yeah when you decide to start competing oh, on a disc golf you. level you are committing yourself to that event you know yeah, you're correct. paying the money you're comp- you're committing your money and your energy <clears throat> to that entire day yeah because i that's right because i remember brandon yeah remember our, um okay so i started in what august of 20 no 19 19 yeah 19 so fall color classic in october was two months later and remember i was gonna caddy for your brain and you said yeah just go the novice and you know play i'm thinking okay so i you know i pay the money and i get out there and i did horrible but i realized what it took and it's like okay that actually i think lit a fire then my next tournament was the next March. I don't know if I played in Lumberjack or not. I honestly don't remember. I don't remember. No, no. Um, I don't remember. Sorry. I it was. So, yeah. But then, but the, like you said, okay, I'm going to have to really step up so I don't embarrass myself again. And that's what I did. Yeah, I stayed committed and I kind of golf kind of took a backseat just time and, and the price of it, you know, paying for green fees. And like we said, paying for golf is mostly free or disc golf is so yeah so then i went out to the field and committed time to getting to know my disc getting to know my bag and then when i switched to prodigy it was kind of the same what, thing what? and then what what and then the switch and then the commitment to putting you know if i'm going to go out there and pay this 50 or 65 dollar fee i just i'm not gonna take last place all the time i right. couldn't that's my competitive nature and i made that commitment to myself the sport and see where it goes well even then so you you commit to a softball league right you you're committing two and a half to three hours of a day for the league night Mm -hmm. yeah when when you commit to a disc golf tournament you are literally committing an eight hour day if not longer to that event correct so it's a huge commitment to get into the tournament side of things and I don't yeah. know if this is where Billy was trying to go with his comment, but I mean, this is just my first thoughts with what he said. Yeah, I think um, when it comes, I think it comes down to kind of maximizing the potential of your dollar when it comes to these things. Uh, it, it It's tough because we want new players to come play tournaments, right? And we want new players to come play leagues. And and yes, you got to pay money, but it's, and he says newer players don't see a return. Uh, and you guys talked about commitment. Like I think 
what it really comes down to is you need to put in the work outside of the course, you know, like hundred percent. If if you want that $10 at league night to, to feel like you did something with it, then, you know, you got to go out and practice. You got to go out and you got to put yourself in a position Ezra Aderhold. I think he played disc golf for like two years or three years before he ever ended up entering a tournament because he had a game plan that he wanted to, you know, be, you know, however good he, what, what he wanted to be comfortable when he signed up for his per, first tournament and he wanted to play professionally. So, but, but at the same time, like that mentality that doesn't promote new players, just getting out and having fun. So it's, that that's a tough one, you know? Um, yes. When you think about it, you know, disc golf is cheaper than golf, but at the end of the day, is disc golf really cheap? It's not. No. Especially if you're like you, like the three of us, you know, we're, we're diehards at this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I've walked into a disc golf store and just bought something to support that store. Just because I want to help grow the community. And I'm not saying for you newer, newer players that listen to us get out and every time you walk into Hazy Shade or Great Lakes Disc or wherever you might be to drop, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks. But despairing as well. But get out there and support your stores. I mean, that's how things are going to grow. The more support we give to the community, the more the community can give back to us. And yeah. for those of you who are newer players that listen, don't even think about tournaments yet. Get out, put in the work, build your skills up, get comfortable with your bag, and start with your local leagues. Support your local clubs. Get out there, compete on a low-cost level, and then when you feel comfortable in your game, then jump up in tournaments. A lot of these tournaments nowadays are starting to require, and I think this is going to go forward even with C-tiers in the future, are we going to require you to be a PDGA member. And I think that's good but bad because now you're creating a sense of exclusivity in members and in players. Yeah, no, that's a – that's. I was literally thinking that in my head right when you said it. It's, it's an excellent point. If you're a new player, play league do the most cost-effective option while honing your skills that's you i couldn't have said it but couldn't have said it better myself dude that was a great point go challenge your buddies to a five dollar casual round i mean that's another great idea kevin and i are always throwing lunch down on something or you know whatever just throwing some stupid side bets on things because it helps us with our competitive mindset and unfortunately i mean nine times out of ten wait ten times out of ten to this point i've lost but hey it's all it's all good fun though Kevin's getting Kevin's gaining some weight on all these free lunches. I know, but he's not winning lumberjack. <laughs> That's all right. I didn't win lumberjack either. Not even close. No, I mean he's not winning the bet for lumberjack. Anyway, oh, okay. let's go ahead and hit, hit the hit the one more Ooh. point. I think uh, the last one would be going to talk about Brandon. Yeah, so we're gonna hit his last point. He this says, one changing this point is huge, and I think this is one of the biggest things holding back disc golf as far as growth in the mainstream hit it changing the image of the sport dead horse here but changing the image to a family-friendly activity from people doing drugs and drinking in the woods is a multi-generational process disc golf is known as a hippie sport yes i said it don't argue with me it's the truth it's the truth of the sport Mm. disc golf is a hippie sport and you see it you see that league, you see that casual rounds, you see people stopping for their smoke hole. 
that is a blind, a very huge black eye for the sport. And until that changes, we will not be on mainstream. Bold statement, and I stand behind it 100%. Well, go ahead, B. You have more experience than I do. I, I mean, I've, yeah, I've only been what three years, two and a half years. So go ahead. Yep. Um, yeah. This, this whole thing, it's better than it has been in years, in my opinion. I think we have grown closer to this idea that we are a real competitive professional sport. Uh, we've grown closer to that idea than we ever have before. Um, in my 10 years of playing. Um, but yeah, there are, there's just people out there that have this kind of stigma about it. And, you know, some of them are kind of, uh, it's just kind of like a bullhead, bullheaded opinion. Uh, if you ask me, because one of my best friends, you know, I'll tell him, Hey, I told him, you know, I told him, Hey, we're going to interview Luke Humphreys. And I was told him about how excited I was and stuff like that. And he cracked a joke. He's like, Hey, what kind of weed does he like? And I was like, I was like, dude, just do me a favor and just don't ever do that again. Okay. Cause like, and you know what it's gonna, You know what it's going to take? It's going to take me and both of you and everyone listening. You know, if, if you are against that as the image of the sport, then you got to speak up. You know, if someone is, as, 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 you know, annoying as it might sound, you know, if you are trying to represent the sport in a way, um, if you're, you're at work and you're talking to a coworker about disc golf and they say, Oh, you, you know, if they make crack some sort of weed joke, you need to, you need to level with them and say, Hey, you know, that's not what it is. You know, it's not, you know, maybe that's what it was, but we're trying to make it so that that's not what it is. Okay. You know, come out and play around with me and you'll see that, you know, it's a lot different than what, what you perceive it. And, and part of this is, the fact that you know a lot of these people have never played either so they just they just don't know there's an ignorance to it so it's it's better than it ever has been but yeah there's things still need to change um especially on like local levels like leagues and uh tournaments like local leagues and tournaments and stuff like that that's where it's uh the worst in my opinion yep and it's even sanctioned events you you just mentioned tournaments while you're competing and while your card is out on the course, you're not allowed to consume an alcoholic beverage. You're not allowed to smoke, you know, weed or I think even tobacco use is prohibited or at least frowned upon. But as soon as you turn your card in and you go back to your car, you can do whatever you want. And Brandon, you and I were talking about this earlier. This is something that, in my opinion, needs to change where it needs to be from the first time or the first tea time of the day to the final card being turned in, you should be held to a standard of if you partake in these, in these activities, you will be disqualified. That's where the sport's going to see more growth on a professional level. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, personally for me, um, I don't partake in those things, but I don't, I don't care. No, no, Kevin doesn't either. I don't really care, you know, if people do, I'm not going to judge anyone any certain way, you know, like that's, that's fine. Especially here in Michigan, it's, it's, you know, quote unquote legal, but I just think that um, people need to hold themselves accountable. If they want to change the image of the sport, then it's going to take you not smoking during your league round, 
not smoking during a sanctioned event. You you just got to hold yourself accountable, and you just got to like, if you if you really care about the sport growing, then you know, it, it's just you gotta you gotta hold yourself accountable, you know, right? And and just try to refrain from that. Well, I played NADGT a couple years ago with Kevin and a mutual friend Ryan, and our third card. Somehow we all got on the same card, and I don't know how this happened. It must have been fate or something. We were on the same card, and the fourth card mate supposedly asked if it was okay, but he just he lit up a, a, a joint or a blunt right there while we were playing the tournament. And this isn't an NADGT event. This ain't just a local, you know, unsanctioned or C-tier. Fine. I mean, if you want to do that, again, do that between rounds. That's on you. I don't agree with it. I don't condone it. But by all means, if there is a child present... Do not mm-hmm. light up. I was so mm-hmm. irritated because Ryan's daughter was caddying for him, and this dude's smoking marijuana right in front of us. I mean, yeah. behind us, but right in our presence. And that is that is an absolute not okay. And me being what? the rules advocate, should have taken it to the TD with Kevin and Ryan and gotten him disqualified, but he wasn't having a good round, so I justified in my head, I'll just say something afterwards. But the right thing to do would have been to go to the TD and say, hey, so-and-so was doing this during the round. It's not allowed as per PDGA sanctions, and he needs to be disqualified. Stand your yeah, ground on the rules. I think, yeah, and I, so the little things, too, need to change. Um, I think there should be a dress code. There is. Mm-hmm. I think there should be collar. I, I get there. rid of the T-shirts, not even athletic shirts. I'm saying professionals should be wearing a collar. Mm-hmm. Um, they should be, I mean, there, there has to be standards to your professional sport. There has to be, you know, no, no sweatpants, no kind of short, you get nice shorts with pockets. You know, those are the things that will, will have to change. Yeah. For that. Well, yeah. Colored shirts, but that, those are the little things that will have to change in order to be taken more serious and more appealing to sponsorships. Right. Yeah, I agree with that one too. And I think there is a, see, now here's another thing. Like, I think there's a, there's a pretty loose dress code uh, for like B tiers and up. And the key word there is loose because a lot of rule enforcement and a lot of policies and stuff are enforced very loosely. And as, as far as like the marijuana thing goes, it's obviously very loosely enforced you know there's not there's not there's you know nobody's like for us like it for the three of us that puts us in a tough position because you know we don't want to be like the narcs you know we we just we don't want and we don't want to we don't want people who paid to be in the tournaments get disqualified and just waste their money right um but but As, there needs to be some sort of like the maybe the TDs or something. Maybe need to like kind of reinforce, you know, at a players' meeting or something. Like, hey, this is a uh, marijuana-free event, you know, and you know, and then like things like Kevin said, you know, hey, you got to wear a collared shirt, you got to do this, got to do that. Because yes, I do agree that like a dress code, uh, more strictly enforced, is going to be something down the lines that needs to be changed. Um, but yeah, that's that's just kind of my thoughts on it. Mark, what were you going to say? Like Kevin says, and me and him joke all the time, we all have choices. We all have choices. 
you sign up for the event, there- you need to follow the guidelines set forth not only by the tournament director, but also by the PDGA as a sanctioning body. If you choose, right. if you make that conscious choice to partake in an, in an activity that is banned by the sanctioning body, you should be disqualified. Mm-hmm. If your caddy can get you disqualified from a pro tour event for having a beer can that's empty, then you should get disqualified for promote or for partaking in an event or illegal activity at any level of a sanctioning event. No. I think Sarah made a great, great point. I, I mean, Sarah's point to this was, was perfect. We talked about the rules official traveling, which with each group and, but she said, have one in each, at each hole. That is brilliant. And that will also help make it more professional. Because you have rules, I mean, get rid of the 30-second rule. We know that's garbage. But you have rules that need to be enforced. And when players see the top players, professionals, getting away with whatever it may be, hey, okay, well, I guess no big deal. And they're not going to take it serious. Hey, if Ricky can foot fall off a tee pad, so can I. I mean, he gets away with yeah. it. So, I mean, you know, no shade yeah. at Ricky, but I mean, that was kind of a joke a couple of It's years just ago. an example, yeah. yeah. But I mean, but that's but that's the part where, oh, well, why are you calling me a footfall, man? I mean, you know, blah, 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 blah. That's, but that's the part of it. That will, that will bring it up to that level of professionalism. Right. And that yeah. will trickle down, that will trickle down all the way. And, yep. and that goes yeah. back we, to the point of so, my comment with Sarah about, I was so focused on this dude foot faulting in a tournament that I lost track of my own game and it suffered. That's so, why you need a rules official. So you can yeah. focus on your game and allow the rules official to make the calls. You know, you go to all the amateur tournaments I played in, every every single person, all everyone well knew the rules. There's no rules official, but again, I mentioned dress code earlier. Everyone was dressed everyone was had a collared shirt you had slacks or shorts you had tucked in you had your belt okay belts not a big deal but my point is that's but that trickles down because that's the traditional of a professional level that you want to be at final thoughts are um, we hope you guys listen to this episode and enjoy the content and we'd love to hear feedback on facebook from what you guys think if you like our content and want to help support the channel and and us growing and being able to get out and do more for the community. Um, check out our merchandise store at the understable podcast at Pick up a hat, a hoodie, a shirt. Um, there'll be more merchandise coming up in the future. As the weather gets nicer, we'll, we'll modify some things, but we'd love to see you guys out with some UP gear on the course. And if you see us out there, come say hi. We're all friendly. I promise. Um, yeah, we appreciate you guys listening and, giving us the continued support just through your listenership. So with that, uh, until next episode, have fun on the course.